Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. On the second half of today's episode, we'll read paragraphs 2337 through 2359 and begin to cover more specifically um, some of the topics that fall under the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. First, I just want to say, if you're listening in real time, or real-ish time, we're in the month of October, and if you're listening to this later, you can still, obviously, benefit from uh, the, the fruits of the month of October, which uh, the, the month of October's devotion, which is the rosary. So October is devoted to the month of the Holy Rosary. Uh, October 7th is the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. And um, uh, I, I've heard it, I heard it, I have heard it said recently that once you start the, praying the rosary, it's like Our Lady gets you, she hooks you. And then uh, many often become lifelong rosary prayers. Um, there's just so many wonderful things about the rosary. First, the the very humanness of it, um, <clears throat> where uh, there's there's something very calming about it, just, you know, um, like moving along those beads as we pray, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, etc. Um, and then kind of like theologically, practically, it's just a beautiful way to uh, to think about, meditate on, contemplate the gospel. So we have now four sets of mysteries. So tr- for, for hundreds of years, it was three sets of mysteries. We would pray joyful, sorrowful, glorious. And in, um, it might have been the year 2000, in the early 2000s, Pope John Paul II um, offered us, encouraged us to pray the luminous mysteries or the mysteries of light. So those um, moments, those highlights of Jesus's public ministry. And so uh, in praying, whether you pray all four sets of mysteries every day or you pray one set of mystery or you pray one mystery of the rosary, you're reflecting. We have the opportunity to reflect on uh, these moments in Christ's life and as a result, the the life of Christians. So, you know, we can just quickly rattle off the joyful mysteries. First, we have the Annunciation, then the Visitation, the Birth of Jesus or the Nativity, the presentation of Jesus in the temple, the finding of Jesus in the temple. So we, we start, you know, before we start with the incarnation. So the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, says, behold, you will conceive and bear the Son of God. Mary says, I always love reflecting on how Mary expresses doubt. How can this be? So if you ever doubt, if you ever wonder, if you're ever kind of wrestling with thinking through uh, teachings of the Catholic faith, remember you're in good company. The Blessed Mother was like, what? What now? (laughs) Um, But then immediately, you know, said, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I trust in you. I love you. And so your will be done. So we start with the, the incarnation, the moment that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God himself becomes a man in Mary's womb. And we go through then Jesus, then the visitation, so still leading up to uh, Jesus's birth, and then his childhood, so presentation and finding. So he's about 12 years old, we believe, when he's found in the temple. We then move into the mysteries of light. So if we're going chronologically, we have the baptism of Jesus, uh, which you know, be- begins his public ministry, and then the wedding feast at Cana, his first public miracle, we believe he he affected many miracles before that, but the first public miracle is at the wedding feast at Cana. Then the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it starts now, now, 
now. Heaven starts now. Let's go. The fourth luminous mystery is the transfiguration of Christ on the top of the mountain. And then the fifth luminous mystery is the institution of the Holy Eucharist. So Holy Thursday, you know, Christ entrusts the Eucharist to his apostles, to the church. We then go through the sorrowful mysteries. So agony in the garden, scourging of the pillar, crowning with thorns, carrying of the cross, crucifixion, and then the five glorious mysteries, resurrection, ascension of our Lord into heaven, descent of the Holy Spirit upon Mary and the apostles, or Pentecost, and then assumption of Mary, coronation of Mary as queen of heaven and earth. So bing, bing, bing. We just quickly go through, or not not so quickly, you know, we, we sit and pray, reflect on, meditate on contemplate these these mysteries these these beautiful moments of Christ's life and what they mean for each of us for humanity and uh, for salvation history so so very practically it's it's this you know this moment in each day uh, whenever we decide to pray the rosary where we can um, I was gonna say sit you could sit you could be walking I love to pray the rosary while I go for a walk or a run and, um, you know, we just, again, move along those beads in this very calming, methodical way and then uh, have the opportunity to, to think through the, the mysteries, these, these moments that have profound depth and meaning uh, for each of us. So um, if, if you're not yet a rosary prayer, I encourage you to take up the rosary this month. And what I used to do with my students, because there's about four weeks in October and four sets of mysteries, and we were in school about five days a week. I think we had off, I don't know, maybe a couple days in there. Uh, we would pray. I would pray with my students. So we would do an opening prayer at the beginning of each class, and um, we would start with one mystery of the rosary. So, you know, the first week of October, Monday, we'd start with the first joyful mystery, the Annunciation, Tuesday, Visitation, Wednesday, Birth of Jesus, Thursday, Presentation, uh, Friday, Finding of Jesus in the Temple. So week one was the joyful mysteries. We do the same for the luminous mysteries the second week of October, sorrowful mysteries the third week of October, glorious mysteries the fourth week of October. So that by the end of October, all of my students, you know, bracketing absences, etc., would have prayed all the mysteries of the rosary. So if if you're not a rosary prayer, you're not yet drawn to the rosary, I encourage you this month maybe to pray one decade a day, um, you know, uh, individually or with family, with friends. Um, just take a moment and lift up your intentions, petitions, thanksgivings, and then place them at the feet of our Lord through the intercession of Our Lady and reflect on one mystery of the rosary. Um, we have a family friend who she she experienced conversion later in life, and Jesus and the Blessed Mother just got her. She just fell in love with the rosary, wanted to pray all the mysteries every day. Um, but her family was kind of like, eh, okay, this is a little strange, and like, why are you praying this? And so what she did, she, she prayed for the grace for herself and for her family just to pray one decade a day together. And um, so her family uh, her husband especially could sign up for that. He's like, yeah, we're in the car. It takes a couple minutes to pray one decade. Let's do it. Well, she said, and after after years of, and again, this is the beauty of of perseverance and courage, uh, dedication in the mundane, in and through the mundane, um, just by gently, lovingly, but firmly and perseveringly inviting her husband to pray just one decade a day. She said they'll now get in the car um, or have some downtime. And he's like, okay, you ready to do the rosary? And she's like, okay, great. Mm, 
this is awesome. So uh, yeah, so this this month of October, the month of the Holy Rosary, let's um, uh, you know try try to take up this prayer, take up this prayer more. Maybe you already are a Rosary prayer. Uh, let's try to pray one Rosary a day or a couple Rosaries a day, all four sets of mysteries a day, um, and allow the the mysteries of our faith just to to penetrate our hearts our minds our lives more deeply and allow the the graces of each mystery so we we believe that every moment of Christ's life every moment of the incarnation and his walk on earth was is continues to be salvific for us so not just i think we often think of the sorrowful mysteries as as like where all the grace where all the the forgiveness and healing happens the gates of heaven are open and like so this is where the grace comes through but um at the annunciation it's salvific at the visitation it's salvific so we see again just a beautiful story and, and dimension of our faith the Blessed Mother is pregnant with Jesus. St. Elizabeth is pregnant with, with John the Baptist. And the Blessed Mother comes into the presence of St. Elizabeth. And little fetal John the Baptist experiences the presence of his Savior through two abdominal walls. He, he senses that the Savior is near, and Scripture tells us he leaps in the womb. So the, the presence of Christ, uh, the reality of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, become incarnate for each of us is is sanctifying so holy making um and uh, sanctifying and salvific or able to save us um not just during the sorrowful mysteries but at every moment of moment of christ's life so as we reflect on these these moments and um, pray with them and and ask christ to to open our hearts and minds to understand them more deeply more profoundly um, this is an opportunity for grace for us and for those around us. Last week, I was uh, praying with the scripture passage of the day. Let's see, what was it? Monday, October 3rd. The scripture passage was from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. And it's when Jesus and his followers are making their way to Jerusalem, and they encounter some Samaritans. And... This passage is great for so many reasons. It's so so quick little backstory or quick history. Um, the twelve tribes of Israel at some point split into two countries. So ten tribes are in the north, and they call themselves Israel. And the capital city is Samaria. Two tribes are in the south. That region is referred to as Judah, and the capital city is Jerusalem. The there's two captivities that take place. So the Assyrians take over. The Jews in the north, the Babylonians take over the Jews in the south, and over time, blah, 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 the Assyrians end up intermarrying with some Jews in the north, and the Jews in the north, because they look to Samaria as the capital city, are called Samaritans, and Samaritans were seen as traitors. They they intermarried, they intermingled with their captors, the Assyrians. And um, so it's, it sounds awful to say, but they were, at the time, they were called um, like half-breeds. They, you know, they they basically compromised with with their captors. And so there was, we, we see this a lot throughout the Gospels. There's this, this enmity between um, practicing Jews and Samaritans. And so as Jesus loves to go to the edges, goes to the goes to those who are, are often looked down upon in society, he often goes to Samaritans. So he visits the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, the the hero of the story is the good Samaritan. So Christ elevates uh, Samaritans as 
as these these special special individuals um, in the Gospels. So anyway, as Jesus and his apostles are making their way to Jerusalem, they encounter Samaritans, and the Samaritans are like, whatever, you're going to what you think is the capital city, and um, you know, we, we, you're different from us, and so we, they kind of spurn them. And so <laughs> this is where James and John says, say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like you can hear the record scratch, like, wait, what? How did we just go so... Uh, <laughs> like so far off here. And so it, scripture says, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Like, boys, get it together. We're not going to call down fire upon these people we don't like or who don't like us. But anyway, there's this line, the reason I bring it up, there's this line in that scripture passage where um, it says, uh, Jesus resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. So it, it had come time in his public ministry to start making his way to Jerusalem. And shortly after this, he starts... Um, prophesying about predicting his uh, passion and death. And again, famously, we know, you know, Peter saying like, Lord, you know, you won't die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, this is what I was born to do. And so he he resolutely determines to get to Jerusalem because this is now the next stage of the plan. And, and so he goes for it. And so when I read that, I thought um, – we could apply this, you know, to our discussion of the rosary, but I think to the Christian life in general, and again to specific practices like praying the rosary, fasting, reading scripture, growing in our faith, we need to resolutely determine to, by the grace of God, make our way to that end goal. Because the the three enemies of the soul, as scripture tells us, are the devil, the world, and the flesh. These three things, these three entities, these three beings, um, are ruthless in trying to keep us away from Christ, trying to knock us off our game, move us off the path, because the devil wants nothing more than for us to be separated eternally from God. And so, you know, he doesn't play nice. And so whether it's through uh, distraction, whether it's through our own laziness, proclivity to, like, comfort and yeah, I'll pray the rosary tomorrow or like nah, I don't feel like fasting today or like yeah, I'm not going to go to mass um, the devil the world and the flesh are ruthless in trying to keep us from Christ and so um, you know if this month the month of the holy rosary you would like to grow in your devotion to Jesus through Mary grow in your devotion to praying the rosary then pray for the grace to what does the scripture say resolutely determined to journey <laughs> towards Jerusalem, journey towards this goal, um, and and pray for the grace to just do it, do it, do it. And uh, again, as, as I recently heard, then, then Our Lady gets you. Okay, she gets you with her, her lasso of love, the rosary, um, so as to, to draw us closer and closer throughout the rest of our lives to her son. So... Come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to draw closer to you through Our Lady and through this devotion to the Holy Rosary, through which we may reflect on these beautiful mysteries of, of our faith, of salvation history. Amen. Okay, let's go back to paragraphs 2334 through 2336, which was the, the end of last week's reading. And uh, there are a couple of beautiful lines there. 2334 says, In creating men, male and female, God gives man and woman an equal personal dignity. Man is a person, man and woman equally so, since both were created in the image and likeness of the personal God. So I think we know this instinctively. I think we say this, but it's good to be reminded and 
um, to proclaim with love that men and women are equal in dignity, equal in worth, because we both come from the living God. We're both created in his image and likeness. So as we said last week, God is neither male nor female. He is above and beyond um, sex and gender. Um, but he creates us as male and female so that we can enter into this communion of persons, this giving and receiving of love uh, as a way of imaging the Trinity. Or he, he creates us in his image and who God is as a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving and receiving love. So he creates us male and female so that we too can give and receive love in um, a selfless, self-donative, and then being able to receive the gift of the other in such a way that it's fruitful, whether that's fruitful in the literal life of a child or fruitful in virtue and goodness um, for ourselves, for the other, and for society at large. 2335 goes on to say, each of the two sexes is an image of the power and tenderness of God with equal dignity, though in a different way. So this harkens back to our discussion of last week where we talked about men and women are different, so we are not the same. And we are complementary. Um, so we we are different. Um, to, to be equal is not to be the same. We are different. And in our difference, differences, we can complement uh, one another and, and bring together, show forth something, something greater, something more beautiful. 2335 ends with this line, all human generations proceed from this union. So the union of man and woman in marriage is a way of imitating in the flesh the creator's generosity and fecundity. All human generations proceed from this union. So at a very basic level, uh, society goes on because of, of the complementarity of man and woman, our ability to give and receive, give of ourselves, receive the other, and as a result, be open to life and love. So thank you. Thank you, God, for that. The Catechism then moves into the vocation to chastity. 2337 says, Chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner, the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. So chastity means the successful integration of our sexuality sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man so as as human beings we are both body and soul and the virtue of chastity integrates our body and souls together so um in the garden of eden when adam and eve turned from god god who is truth beauty goodness life love and wholeness all of these uh things beautifully integrated into one whole when man and woman turn from that we become disintegrated. So, so those things are present within us. We still have the capability for all of these things, life and love, et cetera. But um, it, it's like we've, we've fallen to pieces. And in turning from he who, who is all that beautifully together and whole, uh, we turn from that and we, we fall apart. Uh, the, we become fragmented. And so we need um, to turn back to our Lord by his grace and we need that grace to to reintegrate us, to to bring us back together. And so chastity is a virtue that does that. I think as we talk about this, I, th I think of people, I haven't actually heard it said recently, so maybe this was kind of a passing fad, but I remember the first time I heard it, I was in Nicaragua and I was chatting with a woman who was also American and... Um, she said, she said, oh, I don't know what we were talking about. She said, oh, so you're religious. 
like, I guess you could say that. Uh, she goes, yeah, I'm spiritual, but not religious. You might be familiar with this. This I feel like this might have, maybe the popularity of this phrase has, has passed. But for a while, it was very popular for people to say, I am spiritual, but not religious. Which it's like, duh, we all are. So is the devil. He's spiritual, but not religious. He is a spirit. Um, but I think it's a way of getting around like, Subtext is like, I don't want to, you know, follow the Ten Commandments or like these teachings or like go to mass or whatever the religion is. So maybe not just Christianity or Catholicism, but I don't I don't want to obey these rules or be like subservient to these other things. I want to go my own way. But I recognize that like I'm, I'm more than just my body. And it's like, yeah, we all are. <laughs> but as human beings, we are body and soul. And those two things um, – dialogue with each other I mean we're we're not like spiritual over here and bodily over there like we are uh, one human being who is both body and spirit and so those things because of the disintegration of the fall which we again hearkening back to those examples of like eh, it's much more comfortable to stay in bed than to go to mass like I don't feel like fasting and giving up like those nice things I like to eat and drink we f- we feel it intuitively whether we believe in original sin or Christianity or any of the above mentioned, like we, we feel it in our day to day, like this, ugh. you know, St. Paul says, I don't remember the exact quote. I want to say it's from his letter to the Romans. I do what I do not want to do. And what I want to do, I don't do. Okay. How many times have I wanted to go for a run, get up earlier, read this book instead of watching a show? And it's like, eh, it's just easier to do the opposite of each of those things. So so we feel this in our day-to-day human experience. And so the virtue of chastity is, uh, again, a virtue that helps bring the body and soul back into unity, into integration um, post-original sin. So chastity integrates our humanity. Our humanity is, is bodily and spiritual. It integrates it in a happy, healthy way. And as we talked about last week, last week, two weeks ago, um, the body will be resurrected at the end of time and joined to our soul. And then we will enjoy, God willing, the beatific vision in our fullness of humanity, body and soul. And so chastity now here on earth helps us integrate those those two dimensions of our humanity um, so that we can begin to live uh, that that wholeness, that happiness, that fullness, now, this side of heaven. Paragraph 2338 goes on to say, the chaste person maintains the integrity of the powers of life and love placed in him. This integrity ensures the unity of the person. It is opposed to any behavior that would impair it. It tolerates neither a double life nor duplicity in speech. So again, because of the fall, we are disintegrated, our body and soul bodies and souls often move in different directions and so the virtue of chastity brings us back together so that there's no double life nor duplicity in speech. Uh, Dan and I used to teach uh, marriage prep, basically a pre-cana using this program from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia used an Ascension Press program which was really quite good and Um, When we would, sometimes we were given the talk on natural family planning and contraception. And the program basically used Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And I thought beautifully described and hopefully brought to life um, the understanding that contraception basically 
makes makes us duplicitous in our speech, in our body language. So in sex, husband and wife, man and woman come together and without, even if we didn't say a word, um, our bodies say to one another, I give myself to you and I receive you. So the way that our bodies move in the sexual act says, I give myself to you and I receive you. And when we introduce contraception, our bodies are saying, I give myself to you, but not that part of myself. Or I receive you, but not that. And so this lie, this duplicity in speech and the, the speech of the body is introduced and again, leads to further fragmentation. It's like I'm saying one thing with my body, but then like taking it back. Like I don't actually want to give myself to you or I don't actually receive you. And so whether we, you know, like see it or not, um, we're, we're communicating something to the other, to our spouse um, with the language of our bodies. And so that introduces, if we use contraception, then that introduces this this double life, this duplicity of speech, um, which affects marriages, affects relationships, and um, not for the good. 2339 goes on to say, chastity includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is a training in human freedom. So this is almost a a reiteration of when we talked about uh, marriage and family life being, again, an an apprenticeship in, I think it was self-denial, self-mastery, and something else was listed there, which is Again, training for for true freedom. Uh, we we live in an age where freedom is associated with license or is um, understood to be licensed. So I'm free if I can do whatever I want. There's no external constraints. Nobody's holding me back or forcing me to do something. And there's no internal constraints. Like nah, I don't feel bad about what I'm doing because I'm free. I can do if I want to do it. I can do it. Whereas true freedom is being in possession of ourself so that we can give ourselves to those persons, those things to which, to whom, to which we want to, to give of ourselves. And so uh, 2339 goes on to say, the alternative is clear. Either man governs his passions and finds peace, or he lets himself be dominated by them and becomes unhappy. I think that that's worth repeating. The alternative is clear. So the alternative to self-mastery the alternative to chastity, this integration of body and soul, is either we we govern our passions and we find peace, so we are in control of ourselves, of our passions here specifically, or we let ourselves be dominated by them and become unhappy. Our passions take over, our whims, our fancies, our whatever, uh, take over and, and govern us, and we become unhappy unpeaceful is that a word we experience a lack of peace and again I think so many of us we we feel that but it's like eh, what is this where is this coming from and here the catechism helps us understand it man's dignity therefore requires him to act out of conscious and free choice not by blind impulses in himself or by mere external constraints so we don't just follow the the whims the fancies the urges within um, and also we, we don't just follow mere or succumb to mere external constraint. So someone or something is not letting me do what I want or like, fine, fine, fine. Like I was raised Catholic, so I'll obey the rules. Um, that doesn't lead to happiness either. We, we, again, as body and soul, we want to gather ourselves up and by the grace of God become integrated and, and choose this, give ourselves to this or not give ourselves to this, say yes to this or not say yes to this rather than, um, you know, 
be saying yes or no, ruled by our passions or by something else of which we are not in control. The Catechism goes on to say, Indeed, it is through chastity that we are gathered together and led back to the unity from which we were fragmented into multiplicity. So we're gathered together, led back to the unity from which we were fragmented into multiplicity. So originally, we were a unified whole. So as man, as woman, made in the image and likeness of God, our bodies, our souls were in unity, um, and we experienced this wholeness. Original sin then fragments that, and the, the human condition post-original sin is passed on. We inherit it in a fragmented way. This is uh, the end of paragraph 2340. If you look at the footnote, footnote 128, at the bottom there, that comes from St. Augustine's Confessions. Okay, so, so beautiful. It is through chastity. And St. Augustine, if you're familiar with the Confessions, um, really struggled with chastity. So he prayed, Lord, as he moved down the, the path of conversion and at some point knew chastity was the way to go, like, that's something I want, and I know that's good for me. Still, his body was like, oh, so used to unchastity. He prayed, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. What an honest, beautiful prayer from this incredible saint. So if we struggle with chastity, if we're, we're, we're trying to um, grow in the virtue of chastity, let's pray through the intercession of, of St. Augustine and uh, his mother, St. Monica, for the grace to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, um, for the grace to say yes to God and to this virtue of chastity, to growth in the virtue of chastity, which will lead us back to wholeness. 2342 says, self-mastery is a long and exacting work. One can never consider it acquired once for all, once and for all. I, I've shared that um, I'm going to physical therapy for this back pain I've been experiencing. And uh, I was reminded most recently as, as Dr. Bridget is having me do these pretty difficult ab exercises, like, ah, again? And I have to do this tomorrow and 10 on each side? It's like, oh, Lord, could you just wave a wand and like my abs will be strong and my back will feel good? And it's like, no, it's, as the catechism says here, a long and exacting work. We do it again. We do it again. We do it again. And in and through that perseverance, um, that determination by the grace of God, that, that faithfulness to practicing and when we fall, getting back up, um, it's a long and exacting work. Through that, we become chaste men and women. So uh, I used to say to my students, you know, every, every decision we make, every action we take both reveals and further defines who we are. So every decision we make, every action we take reveals who we are and further defines who we are. We, we are making ourselves into um, a certain someone through our actions. And so when we're faithful, 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 on the, the boring days, the lazy days, the difficult days, the happy days, um, God is making us, by the grace of God, uh, with the help of God, we are making ourselves into, hopefully, more virtuous people. I asked Dr. Bridget, and forgive me if I already shared this anecdote, as I was like a couple months into physical therapy, I said like, okay, so if I'm, you know, I'm faithful to these exercises, like I follow this plan, I do it, how long do you think it'll be before my back stops hurting? Without skipping a beat, she goes, three years. I was like, three years? She was like, yeah, between pregnancy and like not using your abs at all. Um, and apparently progesterone uh, affects ligament elasticity. 
Uh, she's like, it's going to be a while, but don't worry. You can do it. I was like, okay, thank you. So come Lord Jesus. All right, 2344 rounds out this discussion with chastity represents an eminently personal task. So by the grace of God, we are are working on this this long and exacting process. Uh, It also involves a cultural effort, for there is an interdependence between personal betterment and the improvement of society. So as we, by the grace of God, uh, strive for the virtue of chastity, this will improve all of society. As we strive individually for chastity, we give others the courage to strive as well. Um, God willing, we show the light on the beauty of a chaste life and through that invite others to live chaste lives as well. Um, In the next handful of paragraphs, the catechism gets into offenses against chastity and and one of the offenses in paragraph 2354 uh, is pornography. Pornography is discussed. And I often think of this as, um, or in terms of uh, how, how sins, or let me say this, it's an example of how sins, even the most hidden of sins, so the use of pornography and you know, oftentimes that comes along with masturbation. It, it's a very hidden, often private thing. But it not only does it deform our, our individual souls, it deforms society. And so sadly, we see that um, right now. We see, the, we see this overwhelming addiction to pornography in both men and now women and how that's um, affecting our culture. As many have called it, the pornification of culture where we, we – now it's it's so easy or second nature for many to just use others um, for you know one's own gratification. I recently listened to a podcast. My brother, Father Gregory, has a podcast with four other Dominican friars called God's Planning, and they started maybe like a year or two in. They started uh, guest planning where they would you know they have guests. I think monthly they have guests on their show, and they had Jason Everett this. Uh, incredible chastity speaker who has been at it for years. I think he he's a little older than I am, maybe like mid-40s. And I think he's been doing it since he was like a teen, young adult. And um, so at the beginning of the episode, they ask him, like, can you just give us give us a glimpse of, of what you see in the cultural landscape? And he said, on the one hand, it's hopeful. On the other hand, it's an opportunity for despair. He said that the good is getting even better but the bad is getting even worse. And then he cited some statistics where he said, for the last 30 years, fewer and fewer teens have been having premarital sex, which is awesome. So the, the rate of premarital, premarital sex among teens is has been an, in steady decline. He said, but the rate of the use of pornography in both men and women has you know dramatically increased, especially with the advent of the smartphone, um, you know, just rapidly increased over the last... 10, 20, 30 years. And so even the most, you know, personal hidden sins where we think like this is not going to affect anyone, it does because it affects when when we sin, it again deforms our souls, it deforms our lives, affects us, and then we walk around deformed interacting with other people and so it deforms our relationships and as those relationships become deformed, um, you know, it hurts society at large. So Lord, give us the grace to one, repent of our personal sins and to be convicted to understand a little more deeply that our, our, each of our sins, our personal sins, um, are not, not hidden and isolated, but affect 
us, our relationships, and, and society at large. So give us the grace to renounce sin, to turn to you, and to live a virtuous life. Paragraphs 2351 through 2356 then go through the offenses against chastity. So first, lust is when sexual pleasure is morally disordered, excuse me, sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. So again, when we think about the the language of the body in sex, it is... um, it's a, it's a language of I give myself to you and I receive you. And what flows from that then is a unity. Um, so as human beings, we're body and soul. So the sexual act binds us bodily and spiritually into a union. It's unitive. And then it's procreative. It is pro-creative. It, it opens us up, opens our relationship up to creation, to the possibility of new life. And again, that might be an actual, literal, physical, new little life, um, or it might be, you know, these these life-giving virtues, opportunities, further relationships that come from, from our union. And so each of these offenses that are listed here, so masturbation, fornication, pornography, prostitution, and rape, all of these uh, offend against the the sexual act, our sexuality, and its end, its goal of unity and procreativity. So first, uh, masturbation. It's literally a turning on oneself. So it's no longer unitive. I'm not uniting myself to anyone else, and I am not open to life. Um, it's that, that act dies with me, um, and so it, it deforms me, and it um, is an offense against my sexuality. Fornication then. Uh, Fornication is here in 2353 is defined as carnal union between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman. It is gravely contrary to the dignity of persons. So if we have premarital or extramarital sex, we are turning from the dignity of our personhood, the beauty, the depth, the value, um, that for which the goodness, the truth, the beauty for which we have been made. And so gravely contrary to the dignity of persons and of human sexuality, which is naturally ordered to the good of spouses and the generation and education of children. We often think of sin or maybe sin is often portrayed as like like risky and exciting and adventurous and we're actually getting more out of life rather than like this little small cramped life that the church and God and authority or authoritative figures want you to have. So if you have premarital, extramarital sex, that's like more wild and adventurous and like opens you up to this greater landscape. When in reality, it does the very opposite. Um, it it shrinks us. It denies us the goodness, the fulfillment, the blessings that can come from a properly ordered sexuality or using our humanity and specifically our sexuality for that for which it was created. And so we, um, it, it, it's like in, sin leads to like an atrophy and um, then by the grace of God through the sacrament of confession and ongoing conversion, we can then be opened back up to the more, the goodness, the fulfillment, um, the end for which we are created. Catechism then talks about pornography, which again, sadly, is so rampant in our culture um, and has become so acceptable. Like it's, I was talking with 
a friend who said she was at her dad's house, like helping him with his computer, was having issues. And as she's recounting the story, she was like, yeah, I turned to my dad. I was like, oh, do you have issues because of all the porn you watch? And he was like, ha, 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 yeah. I'm like, this is so weird that like we're talking about this. Like it's a normal thing. Um, but it's so socially acceptable. It's become so acceptable in marriages. Uh, so many women will say like, oh, that's just like – kind of like par for the course that's just part of our relationship like he does it on his own time and you know I don't care which I can't imagine that women don't actually care about that but the the good news or a little light in the midst of this darkness is that because it's become such a problem and so many people have have realized it's a problem and want to you know be released from its grip there's so many good resources now of people who um, you know struggled with pornography and by the grace of God and their own perseverance were able to um, you know, break that addiction. And so we have things like, um, you know, Covenant Eyes, this program where you can basically have accountability for what you look at on your phone, your computer, etc. We have um, people like Matt Fratt. I think that's how he got his start as such a, such a big Catholic personality um, where he at first did what he, I think, I think, um, you know, struggled with pornography and then um, basically helped others who struggled with pornography as well. And then people, again, like Jason Everett and his wife, I want to say Christina, Kristalina, who have uh, now these uh, so many resources for, for people who are looking to strive for virtue, the virtue of chastity, and break this addiction to pornography and help others break this addiction to pornography. Um, so if you know someone, if you struggle with it, you know you can check out one of these resources. Again, Covenant Eyes, uh, just Google Matt Frad and his ministry having to do with, with uh, breaking the addiction to pornography. And then um, – Jason Everett just uh, was talking about his website, chastity.com, which he really, you know, got in on the ground floor there, chastity.com, where I think there's a lot of resources, uh, especially geared towards teens, but good for for all ages. And he anecdotally, he said that um, they had a Facebook page, which someone, what, hacked. And I, I don't know what the nature of the hack was, but um, it was hacked for five months. They were working with someone who um, was helping them to reclaim uh, chastity.com's or Jason Everett's Facebook page. And whoever hacked it, he said, would just post like five or six times a day on this Facebook page uh, clips of Judge Judy for five months. So when they finally like solved whatever, got rid of the hacker, reclaimed the Facebook page devoted to chastity awareness and chastity education he said they gained 10,000 new followers so Judge Judy fans who like somehow ended up on this site are now you know following the work of Jason Everett so lots of resources out there um so if you you know struggle with this personally check out these resources if you know of someone who struggles with it and maybe maybe the person doesn't even think of it as a struggle um you know, let's let's gently invite them to consider a better way, to consider the chase life because, you know, sometimes, many times, we're in the midst of uh, a struggle, a sin, an addiction, and, you know, we just tell ourselves, like, it's fine, it's not a big deal. But if someone lovingly reaches out to us, like, hey, you're made for more. Like, hey, this is deforming your life uh, and deforming your relationships. Um, even though it's hard, like, oh, I know I need to get out of this. Um 
you know, that that invitation to something more could be what what changes that person's life. So come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to live chaste lives, uh, to strive for the virtue of chastity, and to invite others, especially loved ones, to do the same. All right, just a quick word. Um, The catechism, our reading selection for today, ends with a discussion of chastity and homosexuality. Paragraph 2357 says, Sacred Scripture and Tradition have always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. And then paragraph 2359 goes on to say, homosexual persons are called to chastity. So again, in the language of the body, we see that um, in a relationship between two men, a relationship between two women, there is, there's literally not an opportunity for uh, being open to unity, real unity, and real pro-creativity. And so, um, as the catechism says, this Scripture and tradition has always taught that this is disordered. And so we, there's this beautiful line in here, This inclination, so this is paragraph 2358, uh, constitutes for most most homosexuals a trial. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Any sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite the sacrifice of the Lord's cross, unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross the difficulties they may encounter. So, just like any other person, any other situation, any other discussion, we love and serve everyone whom we meet, whether Christian, Catholic, atheist, heterosexual, homosexual, um, you know, family, friend, foe. We love and serve the person, the people placed before us, uh, giving them, recognizing the, the dignity and the respect that they deserve because every one of us, as we just read, is created in the image and likeness of God, and we are destined for heaven. And so those who struggle with same-sex attraction is a unique cross, a unique difficulty. And so as we just read, um, as with every other person, uh, those with same-sex attraction must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. And I think this is a great struggle for the church right now, a, a struggle for the world, but a, a struggle for the church in that the, the church continues to teach, as, as she has always taught, that that um, homosexuality is disordered. And so those with same-sex attraction are called to live a chaste, a celibate life. And yet we have contingents within the church. So I'm thinking of the German bishops. I'm thinking of you know priests, bishops, Notable Catholic figures in the media, such as Father James Martin, a Jesuit priest, who are basically basically say that um, that same sex unions should be blessed and are no different than heterosexual unions. And so it's like for for a person struggling with same sex attraction, it's like, wait, what? Like the church is saying this on the one hand, and then you know voices of the church are saying this on the other hand, and what am I to do? Am I, if I'm striving for chastity and then, you know, Father James Martin is telling me like it's no different and um, let's let's celebrate that attraction. It's like it feels like my my striving for chastity is for naught. Like what what am I doing striving for, for chastity if if it's no different than any other union? And so we pray for first those with same-sex attraction for the grace to live a chaste life. And we pray for those who speak on this topic. Um, we pray for the grace to be clear, to be compassionate, and 
to point, as always, to the, the truth entrusted to the church by Jesus Christ. So come, Lord Jesus. We pray for each and every one of us uh, listening on this podcast, our family and friends, uh, and for the world. We pray for the grace to strive for the virtue of chastity so that we may become reintegrated as human beings in our bodies and our souls and live the lives Uh, experience the goodness, the truth, the beauty, the goodness, the life, the love, the fulfillment for which we were created. Come, Lord Jesus, give us this grace and help us to persevere. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. We'll take a brief break and then return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2337 through 2359. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2337 through 2359. The Vocation to Chastity. Chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. Sexuality, in which man's belonging to the bodily and biological world is expressed, becomes personal and truly human when it is integrated into the relationship of one person to another, in the complete and lifelong mutual gift of a man and a woman. The virtue of chastity, therefore, involves the integrity of the person and the integrality, integrality of the gift. The integrity of the person. The chaste person maintains the integrity of the powers of life and love placed in him. This integrity ensures the unity of the person. It is opposed to any behavior that would impair it. It tolerates neither a double life nor duplicity in speech. Chastity includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is a training in human freedom. The alternative is clear. Either man governs his passions and finds peace, or he lets himself be dominated by them and becomes unhappy. Man's dignity, therefore, requires him to act out of conscious and free choice, as moved and drawn in a personal way from within, and not by blind impulses in himself or by mere external constraint. Man gains such dignity gains such dignity when ridding himself of all slavery to the passions, he presses forward to his goal by freely choosing what is good, and, by his diligence and skill, effectively secures for himself the means suited to this end. Whoever wants to remain faithful to his baptismal promises and resist temptations will want to adopt the means for doing so. Self-knowledge, practice of an ascesis adapted to the situations that confront him, obedience to God's commandments, exercise of the moral virtues, and fidelity to prayer. Indeed, it is through chastity that we are gathered together and led back to the unity from which we were fragmented into multiplicity. The virtue of chastity comes under the cardinal virtue of temperance, which seeks to permeate the passions and appetites of the senses with reason. Self-mastery is a long and exacting work. One can never consider it acquired once and for all. It presupposes renewed effort at all stages of life. The effort required can be more intense in certain periods, such as when the personality is being formed during childhood and adolescence. Chastity has laws of growth which progress through stages marked by imperfection and too often by sin. Man, day by day, builds himself up through his many free decisions, and so he knows, loves, and accomplishes moral good by stages of growth. Chastity represents an eminently personal task. It also involves a cultural effort. 
for there is an interdependence between personal betterment and the improvement of society. Chastity presupposes respect for the rights of the person, in particular the right to receive information, and an education that respect the moral and spiritual dimensions of human life. Chastity is a moral virtue. It is also a gift from God, a grace, a fruit of spiritual effort. The Holy Spirit enables one whom the water of baptism has regenerated to imitate the purity of Christ, the integrality of the gift of self. Charity is the form of all the virtues. Under its influence, chastity appears as a school of the gift of the person. Self-mastery is ordered to the gift of self. Chastity leads him who practices it to become a witness to his neighbor of God's fidelity and loving kindness. The virtue of chastity blossoms in friendship. It shows the disciple how to follow and imitate him who has chosen us as his friends, who has given himself totally to us and allows us to participate in his divine estate. Chastity is a promise of immortality. Chastity is expressed notably in friendship with one's neighbor. Whether it develops between persons of the same or opposite sex, friendship represents a great good for all. It leads to spiritual communion. The Various Forms of Chastity All the baptized are called to chastity. The Christian has put on Christ, the model for all chastity. All Christ's faithful are called to lead a chaste life in keeping with their particular states of life. At the moment of his baptism, the Christian is pledged to lead his effective life in chastity. People should cultivate chastity in the way that it is suited to their state of life. Some profess virginity or consecrated celibacy, which enables them to give themselves to God alone with an undivided heart in a remarkable manner. Others live in the way prescribed for all by the moral law, whether they are married or single. Married people are called to live conjugal chastity. Others practice chastity and continence. There are three forms of the virtue of chastity. The first is that of spouses, the second that of widows, and the third that of virgins. We do not praise any one of them to the exclusion of the others. This is what makes for the richness of the discipline of the church. That's St. Ambrose who said that. Those who are engaged to marry are called to live chastity and continence. They should see in this time of testing a discovery of mutual respect, an apprenticeship in fidelity, and the hope of receiving one another from God. They should reserve for marriage the expressions of affection that belong to married love. They will help each other grow in chastity. Offenses against chastity. Lust is disordered desire for or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. By masturbation is to be understood the deliberate stimulation of the genital organs in order to derive sexual pleasure. Both the magisterium of the church in the course of a constant tradition and the moral sense of the faithful have been in no doubt and have firmly maintained that masturbation is an intrinsically and gravely disordered action. The deliberate use of the sexual faculty, for whatever reason, outside of marriage is essentially contrary to its purpose. For here, sexual pleasure is sought outside of the sexual relationship, which is demanded by the moral order, and in which the total meaning of mutual self-giving and human procreation in the context of true love is achieved. To form an equitable judgment about the subject's moral responsibility and to guide pastoral action, one must take into account the effective immaturity, force of acquired habit, conditions of anxiety, or other psychological or social factors that can lessen, if not even reduce to a minimum, moral culpability. Fornication is carnal union between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman. 
It is gravely contrary to the dignity of persons and of human sexuality, which is naturally ordered to the good of spouses and the generation and education of children. Moreover, it is a grave scandal when there is corruption of the young. Pornography consists in removing real or simulated sexual acts from the intimacy of the partners in order to display them deliberately to third parties. It offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, the intimate giving of spouses to each other. It does grave injury to the dignity of its participants, actors, vendors, the public, since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. It immerses all who are involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. It is a grave offense. Civil authorities should prevent the production and distribution of pornographic materials. Prostitution does injury to the dignity of the person who engages in it, reducing the person to an instrument of sexual pleasure. The one who pays sins gravely against himself. He violates the chastity to which his baptism pledged him and defiles his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Prostitution is a social scourge. It usually involves women, but also men, children, and adolescents. The latter two cases involve the added sin of scandal. While it is always gravely sinful to engage in prostitution, the imputability of the offense can be attenuated by destitution, blackmail, or social pressure. Rape is a forcible violation of the sexual intimacy of another person. It does injury to justice and charity. Rape deeply wounds the respect, freedom, and physical and moral integrity to which every person has a right. It causes grave damage that can mark the victim for life. It is always an intrinsically evil act. Graver still is the rape of children committed by parents, incest, or those responsible for the education of the children entrusted to them. Chastity and homosexuality. Homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. It has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. Basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved. The number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for most of them a trial. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross, the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. Homosexual persons are called to chastity. By the virtues of self-mastery that teach them inner freedom, at times by the support of disinterested friendship, by prayer and sacramental grace, they can and should gradually gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me. Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.